Praise the Lord for that freedom. Amen. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of John, John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 36. We're going to look at that passage and then we'll kick things off today. You know, the first time I used an elevator, it was really uplifting and then it let me down. Yeah, it did. Let me down bad. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I just kind of questioned for you. I mean, what do dogs do after they finish obedience school? They get their masters. <laughs> there was once a cross-eyed teacher who couldn't control his pupils. <laughs> He's having a real problem. And you know, I've often found that to write with a broken pencil is pointless. It's just some wisdom I've received through the week. thought maybe I'd share it with you today. There, you're welcome. John chapter 8, verse 36. John chapter 8, verse 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Oh, that song kind of perfect right on spot, wasn't it? Perfectly, I mean, right on the money. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. On March the 23rd, 1775, the 100 and more members of the Virginia House of Burgesses convened in Richmond to discuss security measures for the colony. Almost immediately, Patrick Henry entered a motion that Virginia draft a plan for embodying, arming, and disciplining a number of men for the purpose of defense. After many of the members voiced some serious opposition, Henry rose to defend his position, and upon conclusion, he made this statement. He said, the battle is not to the strong alone. It's to the vigilant, the active, and the brave. And then, referring to British tyranny in Massachusetts, he said, our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston, our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? Then he concluded with a flourish. What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Well, we know how that turned out. And here we are today, a result of that. The House decided to ultimately adopt his proposal, and they chose liberty or death even if necessary. But they were not willing to be bound or enslaved. And so today we live in a country where we have to thank those early fathers for their faith and for their fortitude, their willingness to stand when they were faced with insurmountable opposition. They took a stand and as a result laid the foundation for the nation in which we now live. That choice that Patrick Henry made, liberty or death, however, is the same choice that you and I have to make today. 
We may not be confronting the tyranny of Great Britain, but we are under attack from an even greater adversary and foe by the name of Satan. His weapon is sin, and he uses it to bind us and to keep us from coming to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who offers both life now and forever. Give me liberty or give me death. The context is somewhat different in how I'm presenting it, but the choice is really the same. You can choose liberty or death. It's a decision that you and I must make personally. And today we gather here at Community Baptist Temple and many may have already made a decision in that area, but may I say that there may be those that haven't. And can I tell you today that if you fail to make the right decision, it'll cost you your eternity. This morning, I just want to consider that thought, liberty or death. Will you choose freedom in Christ Jesus or will you choose death without him, basically? Because in the end, that's really what it's all about. If we truly want liberated, if we truly want freedom, then it comes without question through Jesus Christ. It is not going to be found in the culture in which we live. It's not going to be found in the ideology in which we're trying to propagate and promote in our culture today. That's not where freedom will truly come from. Freedom comes from Christ and Him alone. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll consider just a couple of simple thoughts and we'll be done today. And then we'll look forward to what God has in store for us even tonight. Father, we come to you thanking you for this time together. We thank you again for the nation that we live in. We thank you for the privilege that we have to worship even in this country without fear of being persecuted. Lord, so far we've been able to meet. And I know, Lord, there was a time last year where we started to wonder as to whether or not the freedoms that we hold dear and near to our hearts would be uh, intruded upon and trampled upon. And yet, Lord, we see, Father, that for the most part we have them. However, Lord, we are not moving in the right direction in our country, not in the area of this religious freedom, at least. We must be careful as believers to exercise our freedoms while we have them so that when we stand before a judge, we can say, we've been doing this all along. Father, help us, Lord, to set a precedence in our actions in our lives, even today. And Lord, this morning as we face this question, liberty or death, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this crowd that has yet to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and choose liberty or life or freedom, that they would do so today. Because, Lord, freedom is found only in Christ. And, Lord, I pray for the believer today that's bound still by sin, that has backslidden into it. May they recognize the need, Father, to turn from their sin and to look to Jesus Christ and find victory again and find freedom and liberation. Lord, we are desperate for your touch. We need you today. Be glorified, and Lord, may you do your work in our hearts and our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We know that sin on earth began in the garden. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I mean, this thing of sin is as old as humanity itself. We notice in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible tells us simply, I need to get to Genesis, I was in Exodus, I was going to say we're a little ahead of schedule here. Not that we'll be in Exodus, but I was ahead of schedule in the Bible at least. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, 
Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. I left a pretty important word out of there, didn't I? You know, the sad part is that so is our culture, so is our world today. Can I tell you that every word of the Bible is important? That every Mention of God is needed. It seems that his name is mentioned less and less all the time to me. It's a tragedy. It's a travesty. But here we find sin on the earth. And here we find a beginning in a garden. We note the sin. What was that sin? Well, they rebelled against God. It's pretty simple, isn't it? They disobeyed the command of the literal creator of the universe, their creator. Just recently, he had breathed into his nostrils, Adam's nostrils, the breath of life. It wasn't that long ago that he created woman from man. It wasn't but a mere few hours possibly or less that he had walked in the garden, that he had spent time with Adam, that he had spoken to the couple. It wasn't that long or that early Along the way, excuse me, I messed up. It's not that early. That doesn't make any sense, does it? That's kind of how our culture is too, isn't it? Makes no real sense. But it wasn't that long ago that they heard the voice of God. And now here they are rebelling and disobeying. Do you know the Bible tells us over in the book of 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry? You know, sometimes we like to place sin on certain levels. We like to identify what's more uh, evil than other things. But can I tell you that rebellion, according to the Word of God, is as the sin of witchcraft. That's pretty severe. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, my question is, is this. Is it, does it matter who we're rebelling against, whether it's God himself or God-given authority? Does it matter? Young people and children, if they're not careful, will rebel against mom and dad. Can I tell you that that rebellion is just as wicked and sinful and bad as witchcraft? Man, we can look at somebody that's dabbling in those things and say, man, they're so wicked, they're so sinful, but you know, I'm just a little rebellious. Mm, I don't think so. Not according to God's viewpoint. We see the sin there in the garden, but we also note the shame. Can I tell you, with sin always comes shame. 
We do have a tendency to downplay sin today, and we'll talk a little bit more about that probably tonight. But the fact is, is that what we find here is that the sin brought shame. Notice the passage in Genesis chapter 3, we're there already, verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Notice he says, and he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Now, there wasn't a whole lot of people around. I mean, there wasn't too many people that he could have turned to and said, well, he, he did. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's him and his wife. I mean, the devil certainly isn't going to bring uh, light to that subject. So this had to be something that, well, he felt. And notice it goes on to say, and he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Man, they saw they were naked and they hid themselves from God. Can I tell you when we sin, we will experience shame. Not only shame amongst those who we have hurt or those that we've sinned against, but against most importantly God himself. There is an element there where we hide ourselves from God for fear of facing a righteous, holy God. And may I say it's important that we must maintain our, our, our righteousness before God because without doing so, we will flee from Him. Why is it that people that sin want nothing to do with God's house? Why is it they want nothing to do with God's Word? Why is it they want nothing to do with God's people? I'll tell you why. Because they recognize they're naked. And they're ashamed. Oh, they'll blame you, they'll blame me, they'll blame God, they'll blame the Word, they'll blame the church, and they'll say, why are you judging me? Uh, probably we're not judging. It's just how they view it, because they're already sensitive to their sin, and they feel that tinge of, sin, of shame. The sin, we see the sin, we see the shame, we note the stain. Boy, I'll tell you what, look in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It probably wasn't long after being expelled from the garden that Adam and Eve now have children. We know that Cain ultimately would kill Abel, and then all of a sudden God would make another way. His grace would be ex extended again, and he would uh, birth a, allow them to birth another child, a child by the name of Seth. Notice what the Bible says here in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made him. Now we know that God, was, that God created Adam in, in his likeness and his image. We are aware of that. We read that earlier. And if we haven't ourselves read it, you've probably read it before in Genesis. Notice what he goes on to say now in verse 2. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. I don't know about you, but did you notice the change that just took place? Where Adam was created in the image and the likeness of God, Seth is created in the image and the likeness of his sinful daddy. You say, well, what does that translate to well look over at Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and it defines for us 
exactly what transpired and took place there in Genesis. And this took place in Genesis chapter 3 when they rebelled against God. Notice what happened here. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Who's that man? Adam. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. It should be Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. In chapter 5 of Genesis, we see how that works. Dad passes his sin on to his children. His children pass that sin on to their children, and so on and so forth. Because I create, when I get together with my wife, a child that's in my likeness and my image, which is a sinful image, just like Adam's was now that he, that he, that he transgressed God's law. That's what the Bible's teaching us. So sin on this earth began in the garden. We noted the sin, the shame, and the stain. But notice the separation that came as a result of it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 again. We're going to read here, after they had rebelled against God, that God had to take steps to protect His creation. Notice what the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 23. Therefore the Lord sent, let's go back to verse 22. He says, and the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. He's saying is, okay, so to make sure that he does not now that he is a sinner, take of that fruit, which gives life. So listen, this tree is going to give life whether you're a sinner or not. That's what it's, it's, it's going to perpetuate your life. It's going to continue your life. We think about those trees over there in the book of Revelation, it'll align the, 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 the river that comes forth from the throne. They're producing life as well. What we see here in this case is a tree that is the tree, uh, a, a, a tree of life. As long as they eat of it, they live. God does not want them to live in their sinful state forever. So he, in order to protect them from making that horrible mistake of eating of that fruit, we're going to have to remove them from the garden so they cannot eat of it, they cannot continue in it, they will surely die. God had to remove mankind from himself because of sin and for himself. Because of himself, I should say, mankind because of himself. Now that's an interesting concept. So sin here in this particular case, it brought, it brought shame, it brought a stain, and it brought separation. Separation from God, from a garden, a perfect environment. And now here we find mankind in a dire strait. And fortunately for us, God, in his grace, provided a substitute and a sacrifice. And in this case, he provided a blood sacrifice for Adam and Eve. And they left the garden with skins, coats of skins, and for us today, as we look back, we see the perfect Lamb of God who represents that sacrifice given on our behalf, who took our place and ultimately could cleanse the stain of sin and restore the separation that was the result of it. Not only do we see that sin on earth began in the garden, but we notice 
that sin was paid for on Calvary. 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha, a battle for the liberation of the soul took place. There on that hill, Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth, and he bore the sin of all the world in order to free us from the bondage and enslavement of sin. Look, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. There we read, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded because he deserved it. No. He was wounded because they could not figure out who he really was. No, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Man, I'll tell you what, we serve a wonderful Savior. I mean to tell you, he literally took our place on Calvary Man, I deserve to have those nails driven into my hands and feet. I deserve to hang between heaven and earth, naked and ashamed before humanity. I deserved all of that. And yet he took my place. And he took your place, too. The truth is he took the place of every single person that's ever been born. The question is, will they allow him to pay for their sin? You know that he didn't just die for you, he died for the world. Do you know that there's not one nationality, one gender, one group that you can think of that has a benefit when it comes to Christ? We are all equally able to access him. Man, I'm glad today. He's an equal opportunity employer. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The payment has been made. It just simply needs applied now. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. Man, I love that little course. It'll stick with you, doesn't it? He paid a debt. As sinners, we deserve to die for our sin, and we deserve to endure the punishment of that sin. Instead, Jesus became our substitute, and he took our rightful place on the cross of Calvary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn there, would you? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we see this thought reinforced again. I, this passage is really, it's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
The Bible says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now I want you to notice, for He hath made Him to be sin for us. And I mean, the passage doesn't just say that He bore our sin. He literally became sin. I don't know about you, but that's an amazing thought. Literally, he became me, the sinner, so to speak. And he had made him to be sin for us. You say, who made him to be sin? God the Father. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, the Bible says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. How in the world could it please a father to see his son suffer, bleed, and die the way Jesus did? Because it is only in that sacrifice that God the Father knew his creation could be redeemed and brought back into fellowship with him. And he understood that every good thing that there was available to humanity, as well as to even Christ ultimately on the throne, was a direct result of the grace that he would exhibit on Calvary, on our behalf. Throughout history, and through, should I say, forever into the future. Mankind will view the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on behalf of a sinful people as an act of grace that continually and consistently honors and glorifies Jesus Christ. How great is your God? Consider what he did. See how he hung on Calvary and how he Shed his precious blood on my behalf. They walk by and they see me, a sinner, in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ in the body, walking the streets of gold, and they say, you don't deserve to be here, but your God is so big and so great and so merciful and so gracious. And that's the point, isn't it? That mankind sees his glory, that the angels recognize his glory, that every being recognizes God for who he is and gives him what he deserves, all glory, honor, and praise. Isn't it interesting that when it's all said and done, God didn't save you for you. He saved you for his glory. I mean, we often like to think of ourselves as being so important in the scheme of things. But in reality, it's always about him. It's always about him. And if you say, well, that's pretty selfish, you can take that up with him. I won't debate that with you at all. I'll just let him take care of it. Trust me, he has a right to do with what he created as however he chooses. But he's a merciful, loving God. <laughs> and you and I are proof positive that he is indeed all of those things and much, much more. He bore your sin, and he bore mine, leaving us a choice. Liberty or death. See, sin on this earth began in the garden. Sin was paid for on Calvary, but as we conclude, we note that true liberty or freedom is found in Christ. Look, you would, in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. 
All right. Sammy, why don't you come up here and give me a hand, buddy? Come on up. You can stand right there, okay? I'm going to use you here in just a second. I needed a heavy bag to punch, so I brought you up. Just kidding. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 5.22. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty interesting and very picturesque verse. It helps to bring to mind a picture. And again, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. The bottom line is this, is that when it's all said and done, if you are bound and you are struggling in sin, it's of your own doing. It's not the fault of someone else. You say, but these consequences are because so-and-so told on me or so-and-so did this or because I was provoked to anger or because I... Wait a second. According to the Bible, he says simply this, his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. It won't be my sin that takes you. It'll be your own sin. And notice, he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. Go ahead and put your hands out. So he says, okay, I'll tell you what. He says, the truth is, is that every time you sin, you are just binding yourself more and more. Every time you sin, you're making that binding even stronger than ever. The earlier that you recognize your sin, the more apt you are to break free from it. The longer you hold on to sin, the more likely you are for sin to bind you. Your sin, mind the way, by the way, binding you. And you say, well, wait a second. I thought you said that God liberates. He does. But don't ever forget how you are bound. I'm telling you that God is more than willing to liberate you, to free you. Like a pair of scissors on this twine, I could go through with a heavy, thick pair of scissors and cut it free. Jesus Christ can break free uh, the bondage, the enslavement. He can tear open and, and, and cut through those cords. I understand all that. But let me tell you something. When you get about here in sin, you've got a lot of shame you're carrying around. And you know what you're doing? You're hiding from God, just like Adam and Eve did. And when you hide from God, it's kind of hard for him to get his scissors out, cut the cords of sin. Now, go ahead and you take that off, Sammy. Thank you for your help, buddy, but that was a good look for you. <laughs> Thank you. Give him a hand. He did a great job. He had, the Bible says again that the cords... His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. Well, when you invite Christ into your life, though, when you've been lost for your lifetime, when you have failed to recognize God for who he really is, not just the creator, but also the savior of the universe, savior of your life, when you come to that realization and you allow Christ into your life, you truly trust and receive him, he liberates your soul. 
He rescues you out of the bondage of sin. He rescues you from the clutches, those filthy clutches that Satan has on you, just gripping you. I mean, this is a real battle we face today. I am very concerned for our our world. I'm concerned for our, our country. We're watching the philosophies and we're watching the ideology of our world. It's so anti God, it's so anti Christ. I was talking to the singles today, and actually they were talking to me. We, we, we really had a great time in class, or at least I did, listening to what they had to say about things. And by the way, some of your singles have some good insights. But we were talking about how over these years, if we would go back 50, 75 years, we as a people have watched this drift take place, drifting. But we've gotten now to the end the days in which we live, and it seems like we've gone. I'm concerned for the next generation more than ever. I'm not just as concerned because of the lifestyle they may live. I'm not just as concerned, uh, just concerned because of the immorality that may take place and just the anti, uh, uh, just the the fact that truths are changing. I'm concerned that they're going to lose sight of God himself and salvation will be impossible because there'll be no foundation by which to build on. And I know you say, well, God's bigger than I know that. But can I tell you, no one's ever gotten saved when I've been sitting at home. They've only gotten saved when I've taken the gospel to them. And can I tell you, we are living in a culture where the gospel is being suppressed. It's not being shared. It's not being given. Even amongst God's people across this country as a whole, we're not giving the gospel out. We're not telling others about truth. And it's not just the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need. It's the truths that are found in this book. It is the fact that we have a Bible that is non-negotiable. It's consistent. It's the same. Within it are infallible truths unchanging truths, absolute truth. And where there's no absolute, as I told the singles today, there's no guarantee where you end up. I'm worried for our generation. I'm not worried, oh, it's going to be such a bad economic situation. Oh, it's going to be horrible politically. Oh, it's going to be a terrible thing socially. Oh, it's going to be... I'm worried that we're going to lose sight of God's word in him. That's what I'm worried about. And obviously, if we would get a hold of him, those things would begin to change. But we're in a mess. We're becoming bound by the cords of our own sin. But when you invite Christ into your life, he liberates you. He frees you from your sin and from the consequences of it. He rescues you out of the bondage of sin. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Well, then how was I redeemed? With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He bought us back out of sin We were the property of Satan, and no longer are we that property. We are his property. According to Corinthians now, he says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. You've been purchased today. And that's a wonderful thing. Purchased out of the 
filthy clutches of Satan and purchased from the stains and the oppression of sin. You've been purchased, bought. In chapter 6, turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 6. In verses 6 and 7 of Romans, he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. Sounds like we're no longer the slave of sin then. For he, is, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like liberation. Man, that sounds like freedom. Sin no longer having dominion over me. Sin no longer pulling the strings, so to speak. I now have victory in Christ Jesus and I can choose to serve Him instead of sin against Him. Boy, you can look forward to the best that God has for you once you've been freed. Once you've received and accepted His Son. Once you've experienced that liberation that takes place at salvation. Because in John 10, 10, the Bible says, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's was the taskmaster you were under before coming to Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, that's exactly what you have to look forward to. Someone that's watching over you that simply wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he goes on to say, I, Jesus, am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And that's what we have to look forward to now. No longer are the chains of sin or the, the cords of sin wrapped about us, but we're free now to serve the living God, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and in our bodies. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I um, hear those words of Patrick Henry. Is life so dear or peace so sweet? as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? I want you to take your Bible and look over at Matthew 16 because I think we see this stated in another way. Watch how it's stated here in Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I don't know, when I read that passage and I think, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? I think, why is it that people choose not to come to Christ? They're afraid of losing what they have. They somehow have been brainwashed into believing what they have is better than what Christ can give. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm at peace where I am at. I am experiencing pleasure and joy to the fullest, I believe. And as a result of that, they choose death over life. 
Patrick Henry says, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty. Or give me death. In this case, may I say, choose liberty. We understand the context that Patrick Henry is speaking. But in a spiritual context, you choose between spiritual life and spiritual death. And I want to encourage you today to choose liberty. To choose liberty, to choose life, to choose freedom. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We need only trust Christ, and he will free us and enable us to become part of his family, give us victory over sin, and provide us a home in heaven one day. Choose life. Choose life. Liberty or death, it's your choice. It's your choice. And you're saved today, maybe. You say, well, I'm already a child of God. I've already chosen liberty. I wonder today, have you allowed sin to bind you? I'm not talking about sin that sends you to hell. That's been addressed and dealt with. Have you allowed the cords of your own sin to keep you from being freely able to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they keep you hidden in the shadows, feeling ashamed before a holy God? Do they cause you to feel that others are looking down upon you all the time? Do you find yourself feeling the tinge of shame? And I say you need only to come to Jesus Christ again. Oh, not to be resaved, no but to be restored. Offer up those cords to him. Name them one by one. Confess them before a holy God. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Once again, those chains will fall off. Those cords will be cut. And you'll be able to face God with a clear conscience. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the simplicity of your word and just the truth of it all. We're asking, Lord, that you would just continue to speak to us through your word. And, Lord, again, as we've noted, the direction sometimes that we're headed in our nation doesn't always seem to line up with your word. But, Lord, we as believers, may we not allow ourselves to be deceived into believing somehow that there's truth outside of this book. May we focus and follow you, focus on you and follow you completely. Thank you, Father, for your unchanging truths. And Lord, if we will just apply those truths to our lives, we know exactly where we will end up. Sadly, those who choose not to never know really where they'll end up. I just pray, dear God, that if there be any that are without Christ today, that they would make a choice for liberty, that they would choose life 
choose freedom of sin, that they would not allow themselves to have to pay for their own sin, but allow Christ Jesus, who died for them on Calvary, who literally bore the pain and the shame on their behalf to pay the price for their sin. We'll thank you. We'll praise you as you do a work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.